welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I'm Scott and I. Usually I do like a clever little intro, like kind of dodging the name, but uh, I'm just going to just going to own it now. Uh, the almost as good Scott and I. Yeah, you can't paint yourself into a corner because you're going to be doing this for a while. It's true. Um, I'm David Bax. Tyler is uh, still uh, unwell, still out of commission. If you want to know what's going on with him, I would urge you to visit caringbridge.org slash visit slash Tyler and Jennifer Smith. You can find out updates on his condition. And also there's a link there to the GoFundMe so you can uh, help him and his family pay their mounting medical costs. Uh, that's where you can do that. Uh, again, it's caringbridge.org slash visit slash Tyler and Jennifer Smith. All right. Uh, we're going to talk about something that is the, the, the topic today. The main topic today is something that is, uh, I think of concern to film fans, modern day film fans all over the world. But first, you wanted to bring up something that is of concern to a small sliver <laughs> of Los Angeles <laughs> cinephiles, <laughs> but I'm with you on it. So, yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah. So longtime listeners know that I uh, am a bit of a Francophile, love me some French cinema. Uh, and as part of that, naturally, I regularly attend um, the kind of Los Angeles big premiere ish French film festival um, that as long as I'd been going to, it was known as Colcoa, which is uh, kind of uh, sounds like a childhood beverage, but which is actually <laughs> um, stands for city of lights, city of angels, because, you know, get what city of lights name. in Paris, you got the city of angels in LA. They're kind of like two very common nicknames linked together. You got a nice little acronym. That's easy to say. Uh, they changed their name this year to something I will have to look up because I can't. No, I'm looking it up now. The American French Film Festival. Right. Which is uh, indistinct and very boring. boring and which doesn't kind of point to the like kind of Los Angeles hub of it all. And which, if right. we're being really honest, kind of misrepresents how glamorous an affair it is. And maybe that's why they <laughs> changed the names. They're trying to make it more glamorous an affair. Right. Because like. Right they get some solid movies in there and there's always some good discoveries, but it's not nearly as prestigious and not nearly as good a lineup as say like rendezvous with French cinema that uh film at Lincoln center puts on every year, which gets like huge name guests every year and gets kind of big, uh, if not us premieres and kind of um, films that are a little bit under the radar. Maybe they weren't mm -hmm. main can titles, but they are kind of like big name French films. Whereas like, the inaugural program of the American French film festival is like half TV shows um, that they needed to like <laughs> fill the time. I mean, I got a ticket for Corsage, the new Vicky creeps movie, which I'm very excited about. Um, and there are a couple other things playing that look uh, very interesting and very cool. And they have like a solid retrospective series as part of it, but it's not, uh, if one were to go to an American French film festival, one would not primarily go to this one. Uh, and again, like, the programming is what it is. You can only get so much. They're competing with AFI Fest, which happens like within a month of when they host this. Um, so I, I get that, like, they're doing what they can with it. But the kind of local naming of it, Colcoa, always kind of at least, I guess, allowed for that. It made it feel more like a homegrown festival than something that's trying to compete on the national stage and just falls drastically short. Um. So yeah, uh, yeah. I use. I haven't gone. I think since 
2018 because I want to say 2019 they moved it to the spring and it was the same time as TCM. Is that right? No, because it used to be in the spring and then they moved it to the fall. Or am I getting it? No, I think it was in the spring for a while. Okay, well, maybe it was always in the spring, and but just there was one year they moved it in conflict with TCM. I mean, yeah, which that was also in the right. spring. So I think I didn't go 2019, and then 2020 was canceled, and then 2021 was in conflict with with AFI. I think, as you mentioned, right? Anyway, yes. I, the point I'm, is, I'm I haven't been, right like, yeah. been since like 2018, which I um, but I did used to go uh every year um i i saw um i saw some good uh some good stuff uh there between like the you mentioned the um what did you call it classics like i think i think i saw playtime at the uh, sure. at, uh there at the dga on a dcp but but still um and some good uh, discoveries is a, a great movie called gabriel in the mountain um that i saw there in uh i'm looking at trying to 2017 it would have been but uh yeah i i don't know what else to say that you haven't already said um it feels uh yeah less less distinct now but city of light city of angels is just like it's it's such a great uh coincidence that the both the cities have these names that work out like that um Anyway, do you know if uh, there used to be a Spanish equivalent to this called L.A. Ola? I only went one year. I don't know if that still exists. Was that this hosted out of the Cinematheque? Because I feel like they've done a regular spotlight on Spanish cinema. I couldn't remember what it was called, though. Um, the screenings were definitely at the Cinematheque. I saw um, uh, a great, I guess you would call it a documentary called Dead Slow Ahead there. And I saw it at the Spielberg Theater at the... At, um, at the Egyptian. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, I'm going to miss that thing. Speaking of complaining about local problems that nobody listening will ever care about the soon to be absence of the Spielberg theater. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I guess that's it. I was trying to find out more about LAOLA, but, uh, I can't remember. All I know is I went to see this super like artsy, <laughs> like slow cinema, documentary um and then they had like free empanadas afterward in the courtyard well, at, the, cool. at the egyptian so that was fun all right real quick before we do anything else i want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in stylish styles and colorful colors they look great they sound great tyler and i use them each and every day of our lives today i was listening to the new album, as well as the last two albums, I listened to all three albums by uh, the sort of, I guess, post-black metal, avant-garde black metal band Toad Eater. Um, their new album, I don't know how to pronounce it, B-E-X-A-D-D-E. Um, it's real uh, wild and vicious and great black metal, um, if you like the somewhat artsier stuff uh, when it comes to black metal. It sounded great on my tweakedaudio.com earbuds. They're available at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, Scott, we're back. Let's get into it, shall we? What Absolutely. Did you, what did you want to talk about? We, we, you and I, off mic, we're trying to come up with a name. Did you come up with a, a, <laughs> a category? Uh, I was thinking something about like, like the new puritanism or something sure that uh that's much better than the kind of shabby thesaurus version i had of the terminology we were trying to avoid um so yeah uh the new puritanism um specifically among i guess cinephiles or or at least uh very online uh film viewers yeah, um, it's interesting because it's one of those things that feels like it like swapped where like I feel like when you and I were coming up, coming of age, we're not that far apart in age um, there. Yeah. It was kind of like in the shadow of Reagan era politics and a feeling at least that I had growing up that all the moralizing about um the content of movies and TV was being done by like the Christian right, where it's all yeah, about not, not to mention obviously uh, rock music lyrics and, and rap lyrics totally. as, as well. Was Culture, it was a big thing. Yeah. yeah. As a whole was uh, being kept under the watchful eye of, is this safe for the children, so to speak. And mm-hmm. is this safe for the children has persisted, but seems to have been taken over kind of by the left of recent years. And I know it's not like wholly a new phenomenon because having recently become such a huge fan of basic instinct, uh, I was reminded that that film was widely boycotted and protested because of its depiction of, I mean, saying it's depicting bisexuals is giving the film too much credit, much as I love basic instinct. Uh, to say it really has an opinion on uh, gender relations or anything like that is probably taken too far. There is a woman who sleeps with both men and women who kills people. Um, and so the feeling was that it was depicting like it was furthering a bad stereotype about uh, queer women. Um, so like the well, idea- there's a, another example um, would be the silence of the lambs. Uh, Absolutely. The, yeah. The Buffalo Bill represents some uh, uh, is, is a character that I think we would armed with modern day knowledge would probably refer to as trans right um as a as a trans woman um and the idea of depicting buffalo bill as such a depraved villain that at the time um even though we weren't really saying i don't think transgender was the term at the time but even at the time there was a lot of uh um backlash uh to such an extent that that uh, Jonathan Demme kind of made Philadelphia, even though it's about a totally different LGBTQ <laughs> like <laughs> close uh, enough uh, aspect, but he like like he made Philadelphia partially like as a mea culpa. Yeah. So anyway, all of which just say that like I know that protesting the content of films is not a, from the left. It's not a new phenomenon, but it does feel like the 
um, purview of what we consider potentially offensive or bad has widened to such an extent that it's really just become another, a very close kin of kind of the Christian moralizing and uh, watchdogging that went on in the eighties and early nineties. Um, would you agree broadly, I suppose, with that? Um, well, assessment? I guess this is the question here to me is to what extent are we like, to what extent is this actually a wave or to what extent are you and I just too online? <laughs> well, do you know what I mean? Like if I, like if we're assuming this is among younger people, like the actual younger people I know in real life aren't like this. It seems like, uh, you know, cause there was like, I remember, um, I didn't see Lightyear. I was supposed to go to a press screening. I went to the wrong theater. I'm an idiot. Um, so I didn't see Lightyear, but I know there's like a, there's a same sex kiss in Lightyear. I think I have that by people retweeting and complaining about Fox news coverage. of that. Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, But what I saw was someone, uh, what, what got like, you know, quote tweeted and dunked on was someone saying like, Look, the issue isn't that it's a same-sex kiss. The issue is that there's kissing at all in a G-rated movie. (laughs) And like at first, I was like, "That's absurd." But then I was like, "This is one guy with 200 followers." Like, yeah. So are are we guilty of like are we overreacting? Is what I'm saying. Um, Or is this actually like a, a a burgeoning movement on the left? I would say it is a burgeoning movement, and I have. I mean, yes, I try to watch out for. Are, are a lot of people quotating someone with less than a, fewer than a thousand followers, in which case I just ignore it and move on. Um, I see plenty of similar complaints um, from people with many thousands of followers. Um, maybe not that nitty gritty, but certainly there's kind of a widespread um, distaste of any kind of sexual content um, in entertainment at all, let alone family entertainment. And I don't mean sexual content, like lately like, is getting it on with somebody. I just mean like the idea of a romance happening. Um, you know, they disregard it completely in Marvel movies. And then for even movies that engage in it, there's kind of this wider sense of like, why do we need to be seeing anyone having sex or anyone being naked or anything like that? Um, I, the, I think the most direct example I could think of in the last couple of years that definitely got a lot of like think piece level coverage as far as that sort of thing goes was uh, the age gap thing in Call Me By Your Name, where it was like a 25 year old romancing a 17 year old. And that's, you know, illegal in some countries. I don't think it's actually illegal in Italy where the film takes place, let alone in the 1980s when the film takes place. Um but the fact of that got a lot of discussion and attention from a lot of people. Um, as for whether or not all of this is just like super online insular discussion, maybe, but I also think the entertainment industry is very geared towards very online people. I think often to its um, own demise that, uh, you know, they forget that whatever 80% of people aren't on Twitter or something, whatever yeah. the statistic yeah. is we're constantly something, reminded yeah, about. Like yeah, but um, so much of modern film culture caters to these online conversations. Uh, I think the most egregious example I kind of point to in recent years is a film like Booksmart, which feels like unless you're um, conversant in the topics of the day, you wouldn't understand why it's playing it so safe and so particularly safe in how it executes itself. 
yeah, I I think um, Tyler and I did a whole episode about it, the age gap thing, and this is where I want to like thread the needle here because I, I I think where I start to get really icked out by this is when it becomes prescriptive or censorious. You know, it's one thing because I have admitted that I get a little icked out by right. by by the age gap thing. But I still loved calling by your name. I loved licorice pizza. It, it, it It's something that I think about, but I would never think to not watch a movie because of it or to uh, imply that it is wrong to watch a movie because of it. I think that's where I start to get like where I start to feel that like 80s moral majority type of thing coming in is is people being prescriptive and, and trying to keep others from seeing a thing that they disagree with morally. Yeah. Licorice pizza is another good example that I hadn't thought of where, yeah, people were like calling her a predator for the fact of their relationship. Um, Yeah. And certainly the prescriptiveness is where I think it tends to cross a line, but even so, I don't know, like the lack of imagination and curiosity about the world to even make the observation in the first place is, uh, you know, degrades the cultural uh, conversation and what we're capable of appreciating in movies. And often like to a degree that seems willfully ignorant um, to stay on the age gap. It seems willfully ignorant to us, but I think I'm going to use a buzz word or buzz phrase that has come up a lot in recent years, but there does seem to be a, uh, a, a dwindling amount of media literacy so yes. what we see is willful willful ignorance is other people just not knowing how to watch something you know um i remember tyler was talking about i never saw the movie the hunt that was like uh um it got pulled from cinemas and then it, it came back because it was about like, oh that one yeah it was about like basically liberal elites hunting mega types right and it's clearly satirical like i I watched the trailer it's clearly satirical and like the good guys are the mega people at least based on what's presented but so many people on the right didn't get that they just saw it's depicting this therefore it endorses that and i think that's that's a big thing that tyler and i when we did our age game episode kept coming back to is just because a movie is showing you something doesn't mean that it's saying this is a good thing. And I think there are people who a don't understand that or B think that's the wrong way to make a, a, a movie or, or a TV show. They think that there was a whole, I've never watched neon Genesis Evangelion, but did you see that whole thread that went kind of viral about a guy saying why that was bad? No. Uh, and a lot of it was because he, he, He's he, the, this guy said that like of uh, you know storytelling one on one you have to be able to relate to and identify with the protagonist. Oh right, and um, I don't agree with that, but I do think there are increasingly that is how people see movies is that that it's uh that by by choosing to watch something they are endorsing it. Therefore, if the movie is not endorsing what they want to endorse the movie is bad or wrong. Yeah. I mean, I think we saw that too with um, once upon a time in Hollywood or Stillwater, 
um, being about characters who um, are in some ways heroic, but in some ways not. And that uh, the film asks us to engage with them. Um, the very fact of wanting to, in, of the film wanting us to engage in them, like rub tons of people the wrong way. Uh, yeah, I didn't see, didn't see Stillwater, but um, uh, yeah, I didn't, that's just not like, I, I get, we're getting back to that thing of it being very online because like, I just want to ask people like, how do you get through the world? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I, I interact with people I disagree with all the time. I have to, that's just life. And, and I, 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 that's why it feels so online where everything is, everyone's like friend group is so curated um, and not only curated, but like watch talkishly and, you know, people unfollow or block or whatever. Right. Um, uh, and, and um, uh, th- that's not, you cannot curate a, a, a life. And I feel like people who think that they can, treat a movie like it has to uh pass a certain number of checks on a checklist yeah i think that's also kind of taken uh, a different form really it feels like in the past like three to four years um in terms of holding celebrities to those same standards and i'm not talking about instances where like a crime is committed and like I'm not talking about about like sexual assault, but especially in the past couple of months, there have been two major quote unquote scandals where a celebrity merely had an affair. I'm thinking specifically of Adam Levine and John Mulaney who were like widely, is I using the term pilloried correctly? Um, Just widely assailed for um, having an affair outside of their marriage. Oh, and the uh, try guys guy, which like suddenly we all learned what the try guys are. Um, Yeah. I've never heard anyone uh, yeah, I just, everyone I talked to is like, yeah, I didn't know what the Try Guys were, including me. I didn't yeah. know either. And then I read a quick like primer, and I was like, yeah, like you're saying, like, I wish I'd never heard of this. I don't care. <laughs> um, I mean, my take on that was their entire thing is trying things, and they fire somebody for trying something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> just feels like a you know abdication of cause. Um, but yeah, it's like, but yeah, but no, but I I see what you're saying because. Well, this is, it's weird to invoke Joss Whedon now because more of his abusive onset behavior has come up. But initially when it was about this guy, like had an affair, you know, that was like the earlier thing before the Justice League thing. And then retroactively like Chris McCarpenter coming out and talking about what, how she was treated on Buffy and Angel and stuff like that. Um, It, I, I remember bristling a little bit when, people would refer to Joss Whedon cheating on his wife as would, would lump it in with the me too thing. Yeah. And because I feel like that's kind of, it's diffusing and cheapening and insulting to like the people who were the, the many women who were harassed and sexually pressured and taken advantage of, um, you know, people like, I think like what you're getting at is like people cheat on, their spouses all the time and it's like it sucks but it's not really our business yeah and it's not um degrading like the work environment or you know committing a crime or doing anything like to damage the social fabric of the wider world i suppose 
Um, but there's a there's an extent to which because you talked about things going the other way in the 90s i feel like democrats were saying we're saying too much about bill clinton and not taking into consideration the like the power dynamic and the and the abuse of power in in him um sleeping with a a young intern but that was still a professional environment i mean i i would say that's a good point if he had had an affair with somebody who was outside of the white house who was of a similar i mean i guess i don't remember how old monica lewinsky was at the time i'm guessing she was of age as we say um assuming he had had an affair with some ordinary 22 year old or whatever i don't think that that even that case would stand as much water Um, yeah but i I think you're saying the same thing i'm saying because she worked for him essentially yeah yeah so i I see what you're saying in terms of like like dave dave letterman like i was like very forgiving of dave letterman at the time and i feel like in retrospect like oh this wasn't just a guy who had an affair this was a guy who had an affair with underlings or whatever yeah exactly i like to refer to people that way (laughs) subordinates i don't know this is why you've had such a hard time at work i know um uh yeah and like there are people who would say that like celebrities have a degree of power over their fans or whatever but that's giving too little credit to their fans like uh sure adam levine is higher up the social and uh entertainment ladder than the models he slept with or whatever but end of the day like they just don't have to like adam levine that much who cares they're not you know their livelihood wouldn't be put into question mm-hmm. by turning them down or not engaging with them and most likely the avenues through which they would have first met him were not a professional environment the way that say monica Lewinsky was um like even the fact of any introduction there and let alone like john mulaney who had an affair with you know i would say olivia Munn is roughly a peer to john mulaney in terms of like fame levels but everyone was still after him and like really seems to hate him on some level because he like went against this image he had created of himself as a wife guy well that's um uh a big uh, we sound like old people like complaining about the kids today but... well but oh here's the point i wanted to make earlier when you're okay. saying about the kids today i don't think this is just the kids today i think a lot of this is like people our age and like mm-hmm. around our age um who are taking exactly similar stances i mean i this conversation has been pretty persistent at least since you know second term obama administration um it's prime like peacetime concerns right (laughs) there's nothing else to worry about in the world so let's worry about this um and you know at the time we were the young people who were being out of line or ridiculous or whatever but i felt then that it was like uh a too aggressive stance to be taking on everything. So I don't, I don't think it's exclusively like the Gen Zers or okay. the TikTok crowd, although I, they're clearly part of it, but um, it was really kind of nurtured by our own generation. But, but I think the, the point that I'm trying to make that the thing that I, and this is probably true of millennials um, as well as Gen Z, but um, it's the, I guess I, I I went from being bemused to somewhat troubled by like Stan culture and oh sure like I, I think that's a big part of why people are so mad at John Mulaney is because they're like they felt like they were so attached to this idea of him and I've I've never had that and I've never really understood it um, I've never understood holding 
the creator of the art you like up to um, uh, some impossible standard. And I've also never understood not being able to brook any criticism of the art that you like, you, mm-hmm. you know, um, like to get back to the silence of the lambs thing. I, it is not, it is not a contradiction. It is not impossible for me to say that the movie's depiction of a transgender person is harmful and hurtful and problematic. And also it's a really great movie. I don't think I, those things don't, those things can both be true. And I think I, and maybe this is my own, like, I was just being blithely ignorant, but it seemed, it was news to me to realize that not everyone thought those two things could be true. Yeah. Um, That's, you know, an eternal reminder and one that we'll be talking about a great deal in our upcoming profile episode about a filmmaker with whom, uh, who's, work I regularly found uh, troublesome and unnerving and disquieting. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting is I was going to bring up one of that filmmakers films, but now that will break my, our policy of not announcing who the profile <laughs> subjects are. Well, I already made it pretty obvious in the last episode, but um, I have no problem with breaking the rule, but it's not my rule to break. So you, you Although without you. saying the name of the director, in fact, uh, why don't I pick, Wink, wink. Why don't I pick another film by another director as an example? Wink, wink. Um, I did have this problem with um, Every Man for Himself, which I saw when um, Criterion put it on Blu-ray. I have the Blu-ray and and I saw it and I uh, formerly was invigorated by it, like I often am, by that director's films. uh, But I did struggle with what an obnoxious piece of shit (laughs) the main guy is. Um, It like, it's not, it it can be sometimes unfun to watch someone be a piece of shit and get away with it because of the fact that that happens so often in real life. But again, I think, I've come to understand that this is my struggle, not a failure of the film or the filmmaker. Right. Um, I I will move on to another film that made me think of it in a a moment, but I will first say that uh, we'll have much more to talk about, about the very uncomfortable uh, circumstances under which that film was made (laughs) and some of the production practices put into place to get it there. Um, Okay. But you mentioning like the kind of just generally putting up with an asshole nature of that film um made me think of another one that uh, actually two other ones looking at my list here that um people kind of called out in recent years um first uh under the silver lake and then also uh paul thomas anderson's phantom thread both of which um depict uh aggressively misogynistic and controlling uh protagonists um i i've never really understood the under the silver lake uh complaints because like by the end of that film nobody's more miserable than uh andrew garfield's character whose name i can't remember now and may not even have a name might be one of those situations who can say um who can say i don't know the movie's very long i feel like they the longer the harder it is to get away with not naming the character yeah but it's kind of an arch and very uh overdetermined yeah. film so i could see it I'm, playing that way i like that movie quite a bit actually no i like it too uh, but I, there's i'm just saying it, it is very arch network it's okay. his name is sam classic um but yeah so i've never understood it in that film because like 
he's so obvious. And this is where you're getting back to saying about like media literacy being at an all time low. Like nobody comes out and tells, well, actually they do kind of come out and tell him he's a piece of shit. But um, (laughs) even apart from that, like just watching where he ends up, one can quickly be like, Oh, perhaps being such a shit bag. Isn't the way to go through life. Okay. Moral lesson imparted. Uh, Phantom threads, obviously a little more complicated situation because like, it's essentially a romance and I think a very earnest one by the end. Um, but it, there's no doubt that Reynolds Woodcock is like hugely dickish to pretty much everyone around him at all times and pretty then kind of just loved for it. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember, well, I, uh, I remember again, we were just talking about like tweets, but, um, someone had a problem with the audience laughing at the way that Reynolds Woodcock mistreats. Right. Vicky creeps character. Whose name I've forgotten. Alma. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, there you go. Um, and, uh, that, I guess I don't want to, I don't want to be dismissive of people who have, been in abusive relationships and maybe watching something like phantom thread isn't funny to them sure um and and so there's nothing wrong with them um not wanting to laugh at, at his verbal abuse but um to the rest of us like it's clearly meant to be funny and it's not meant to be funny in a way that aggrandizes him you know it makes him look mean or often just ridiculous i, I would say my <laughs> Uh, Natalie and I still say to each other, um, uh, are you a secret agent sent here to ruin my evening and perhaps my life? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe even my life, whatever he says. Yeah. Um, uh, that's clearly meant to be funny and meant to make him look ridiculous. Yeah. To me. Um, and so I don't think I, maybe it comes back to media literacy is, is laughing at something. Um, uh, in uh, approving of it, I don't think so because no, I don't think so either. But like, I, I, I think that I guess I'm trying to. I don't want this whole episode to for uh, to be us talking about how we're right and these people are wrong. I oh, do want sure. to try and see, and I think I do see things from their point of view. But I, I, I also am able to see what I think they're missing about how to best how i think is the best way to engage with art that i think i i I think these people are generally their hearts are in the right place and they're generally their morals are in the right place but they're not uh there's there are other things than that that come into play when you're engaging with a work of art yeah. And I would also say just like engaging with the world. I mean, um, every workplace, you know, has its share of jerks. Hopefully they're not so jerkish. They cross any real lines. Um, but like to some extent, you just have to laugh those people off and like move on with your day and the ability to laugh at people who are foundationally ridiculous, but who are mean about it, I, I think is a, basic survival tactic like you can't spend all your time getting bent out of shape about somebody being mean you know 
Yeah. I mean, that's something that I, um, learned in therapy. Uh, the first, okay. the first time I was in therapy because I would get bent out of shape about certain, uh, people. I mean, this is like 10 years ago, but like when I was still kind of new to being in like the world of like LA film critics and, and mm-hmm. interacting with those people and seeing them at festivals, conventions and screenings and stuff like that. And I would get hurt by certain people. Like I think dismissing or looking down on me. Uh, but I, have uh, yeah, I've learned that it's probably, it's probably something with them. It's not, it's not me. Who was dismissing you and looking down on you? I want name names. names. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to name names. But, what would they um, say? I'm not. It's more what they wouldn't <laughs> say when I would try uh, to like. Sure, sure. I would try to to engage, engage, and and just be like scoffed at or looked looked down at. Yeah. Um. But hey, I was a kid. That was over ten years ago. Um. <laughs> what was I? I was going to say something else. Oh, but about the. Here's a question for you that I think, I think you were probably going to be on my side. Not that there are sides. Yeah. A, a disagreement. Cause I said, my wife and I both think Phantom Thread is hilarious. She, um, she sees all Paul Thomas Anderson films as comedies first, which uh, I think I don't think is wrong, but like to her, there will be blood is hilarious. Um, and I've come to see it that way that it is actually very, it funny. is. I don't know if I would say um, it's a comedy first, but yeah. But, uh, anyway, but there's a different movie. And this is a movie that I, neither of us liked, but we had a disagreement about, do you remember the movie? Uh, I've forgotten Ruben Fleischer's 30 minutes or less. Yes. Jesse Eisenberg and Aziz Ansari and Dan McBride. And, uh, uh, who's the, the guy who's in all the Sandler movies, Nick something. Nick Swartzen, I think is in it. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, uh, Danny McBride, McBride's character says a lot of racist things about Aziz Ansari's character in the movie. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's clear. The joke is this guy's an idiot and you're supposed to be laughing at him. We saw it in the theater where they were like, younger people and natalie was like i think inferring that those people were laughing because they agreed with the things that Andrew bride's character was saying and that bothered her and my my point of view is like eh, there's nothing i could do about that like that's not the filmmaker's intent and i don't think the filmmaker should i don't think anyone should be making their movie trying to always keep in mind that the dumbest people in the world might misinterpret it. Um, but she was a little more bothered by the lack of responsibility of, of, um, uh, of the film for depicting racism as funny. Uh, and it reminds me of, you know, the reason that Dave Chappelle quit the Chappelle show. I was going to mention that. Yeah. Yeah. That he was satirizing racism, but he felt that a lot of people were laughing at, at the stereotypes that he was supposed to be rebuking or whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, as someone yeah. who never watched Chappelle's show, um, but who knew a lot of insular upper class white guys who did and did those impersonations, I uh, always understood why Dave Chappelle stopped yeah. doing Chappelle's show. Um, and I, I don't, I don't totally disagree with you or Natalie. I think, um, I think it is a fine line. And I think a lot of what we thought of as like, quote unquote, ironic racism 10 plus years ago has clearly transitioned 
into the culture as very active racism and like created a cultural circumstance under which genuine racism could flourish. Um, and I think we all, you know, before the Trump administration got too comfortable with the idea that a lot of attitudes were just so buried away in American culture. And so a part of the past that it was safe to laugh about them and safe to like, just kind of plainly depict them. And we would all understand what that meant. Um, which, yeah. Which is indicative of our like uh, white privilege and ignorance and uh, being sheltered in the first place. It wasn't like, you know, when Sarah Silverman was doing jokes about Chinese people or whatever, it was only like, you know, other white people who were like, clearly that's ironic. Like, I think Chinese people knew that it was like not cool. Right. Uh, probably. I, I couldn't speak to where uh, I, I'm, I'm just I'm just guessing that like people yeah. who are subjected to racism for sure aren't able to. They don't have the privilege and the luxury of of uh, laboring under the illusion that it has, like you said, receded into the past. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I do think it's a because I'm torn in two ways. One, I do think it's a fine line. I, I agree with Natalie in that they can be irresponsible, but I also see your perspective of like, I do find those kind of caricatures to be very funny. Um, I, I mentioned in, I think one of the movie journals we recorded last weekend that we'll post at some point um, about a line in barbarian that got a huge laugh out of me for using uh, an offensive word that I feel yeah. like the film created the proper texture to plainly show us that this character was ridiculous for using it. And that that's a joke. Um, but in the, the day, like, I, By the way, that was on a Patreon. If you want to hear that, uh, you have to sign yes. up at patreon.com slash battleship pretension. Hey, the man. Um, <laughs> but I suppose at the end of the day, it's not entirely for me to say whether or not it completely created that context that like somebody who just wants to laugh at a homophobic remark wouldn't find it funny. I, I guess like, would that be the line where the joke would have to be so egregiously against the person using that kind of language that um, someone inclined towards that kind of language wouldn't find the joke funny. But then I think the joke wouldn't be funny if the, if the head right. out and so explain it, stuff like that. And also like, there's the, to my point is that like, you can't fully control, like, I mean, you know, obviously a, a filmmaker, you know, can, finesse and manipulate and try to get you to identify with certain characters, but you can't fully control um, uh, uh, who people are going to identify with and how people are going to react. Um, you know, I, uh, nah, I'm not going to say that. Um, this reminds me of uh, a movie that I haven't seen in a long time, but I loved when it came out and watched a few times. Uh, can't hardly wait. Never seen him. Um, so uh, Peter Facinelli plays the like jock, like captain of the football team, like that sort of stereotypical that right. guy. And it's one of those all in one night movies. And he ends up having a very bad night. Um, and uh, in my view, like the movie is very much tearing down all of his uh the arrogance that his natural born position in life has, uh, right. has, has afforded him. Uh, but I remember seeing it in the theater with a, like right behind me were a bunch of guys who to generalize seemed kind of like <laughs> him, like him. And they were laughing right along. And I remember like thinking like, do, do they not know that the movie's making fun of them or 
am I bringing my own baggage? And I think the movie's making fun of him more than it is because I feel a certain way about that kind of high schooler. Um, uh, I can't remember how we got onto this, but I think the, the, the main point is that you, no artist can be fully in control of how people are going to interpret their work. Yeah. I mean, in your case, I would actually say that in my experience, jocks are pretty good at laughing at themselves. And even if they're not laughing at themselves, they're laughing at other people on their team because like much of jock culture involves just constantly ragging on other people in, on the team. Okay. And so like the idea that a film would be making fun of a fellow jock is just like totally in line with how they experience their day-to-day lives. Um, I, th- I think in general jocks are better adjusted than we nerds g- g- gave them credit for. Um, if nothing else, you know, they spent their youth partying and trying to hook up with women. Uh, they probably had their priorities more in the right place than me spending time alone <laughs> cramming Sofia Coppola movies or whatever. Like, you know, yeah. being yeah. 17. Memorizing Sonic Youth lyrics. That yeah. was a big part of my, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, meticulously organizing and reorganizing my CD collection. <laughs> yeah, that was a big part of my uh, teenage, yeah. how, how, yeah. I, how I spent my time. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I hear what you're saying. It's just, I, I, that is an area where like the kind of moralizing does, I do kind of question it. I do kind of question myself in like what makes me laugh because like I said, a lot of those caricatures in general do make me laugh and I can assure myself that, you know, I'm laughing for the right reasons, but whether it's contributing to a more longstanding worldview that I haven't totally reckoned with, um, or whether it's having a wider effect on the culture than just like my enjoyment is uh, um, extracting from it. You know, I I think those things are worth weighing and what causes people like Dave Chappelle to reassess reassess why they're doing it in the first place. Um, You know, one could say that Dave Chappelle ended up where he is now. So how right could he have been? (laughs) But at the same time, like, but that's back to that. We, we, we talked about calling this like Puritanism and that's back to that thing, like uh, one wrong move and everything that this person ever did, you know, when someone gets canceled and uh, I mean, I mentioned Aziz Ansari, I, I don't know to what extent his cancellation is even remembered or whatever. But when that happened, I remember people, a lot of people come immediately saying like, oh, I never thought he was funny anyway. Oh, sure. And, like that, that bothers me that everything just gets completely written off. It's like the, um, um, the straight edge, hardcore kids who, who, or adults as well. I still say kids cause I still think of myself <laughs> as a teenager in some ways, um, who, who the, the, the slogan, if you're not now, you never were. Uh, and I, uh, I hate that way of that, that purity test way of, um, judging a person and, a an artist's work. Wait. So what are they referring to in this, in that phrase? If, if you, you can't say I used to be straight edge. Gotcha. You can't say like, oh, I used to be straight edge. Now I have a drink sometimes or whatever. Uh, no, if you're not now, you never were. Okay. Um, I don't like that. And yeah, I don't like assuming that a person's art sucks. I understand not wanting to what's patronize or whatever, you know, um, uh, the work of someone who is, uh, uh, transgressed in a particularly, uh, egregious way. 
I understand, but um, not when it becomes prescriptive and also not when it takes the form of it was never good anyway. Yeah, that actually wasn't what I was saying with Chappelle. I was more saying like if his mindset uh, made that decision to end his show years ago and his mindset has ended here to use uh, some Anton Chigurh phrasing, what good was yeah. the mindset? <laughs> yeah. um, but I, that would be, I, I think, a real reach. Um yeah, I mean, I, I think the other big example that I think of in these terms, in terms of like, is it perpetuating a certain idea or is it laughing at it? That idea is kind of the continued existence. And at least to some degree, there must be success of South Park, um, which is traded in this kind of humor since its inception. And, you know, the very character of Eric Cartman was created as like something to laugh about mostly, but what was also, who was also quickly embraced as like, kind of a, a idol by a certain uh, subset of male fans. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 can't, I can't really speak to that. I haven't watched South Park in a long time, but. Oh, uh, neither have I, um, yeah, but, which isn't to put myself above it or anything. I just don't watch TV. Um, I, yeah. I've seen just, the, but it does. Uh, he does represent a certain, like that 4chan thing of like, totally. um, uh, uh, nothing is, you can't take anything serious. So you're not supposed to get mad at anything. And it's a, it's a kind of like uh nihilism, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, like I was saying earlier, I can sit and laugh at plenty of episodes of South Park, or at least I used to, um, or I can laugh at, um, I'm trying to think of the last, like, like a 30 minutes or less kind of situation where there was a character like that. Um, but anyway, like characters like that and be like, well, I, I am properly looking down at these characters and I'm laughing at them. And I do find those types of characters are funny, but if it is having a degrading effect on the culture at large, I don't know that my enjoyment is that valuable. And I don't know that like, we're so bereft of laughs that we need um, characters like that to keep us going. Um but it's but, but it, that's it's still not it's still not art's responsibility. Like if if there are people who don't who are engaging with art in that way, the problem is probably how they were raised or how they were educated or not raised or not ed- educated. Uh, you know, I, I don't think coming along at the point in pro in 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 the the point in someone's life where they're a teenager watching Thirty Minutes for Less and using that to try and 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 an educator or, or change is, is, is too late. Oh yeah. And I certainly don't think uh, these movies should be substituted for educational lessons. Those are the most boring of all, but, um, and it's n- never any one movie, right? It's, it's a general culture and a more widespread. It's like a Bechdel test thing, right? Any single movie that fails the Bechdel test is like, whatever, it's one movie. Um, the Bechdel test is, in, is instructive. If it uh, reveals something about a wide swath of movies. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so then it becomes like, well, we're all, anyone trying to make a movie is just trying to make their one thing and they're just trying to make the best one thing they can, but it's not like 30 minutes or less is that good of a movie. (laughs) It's like, it's a fine comedy and it has some good bits, but so I don't know that they're like accomplishing anything by stepping outside of the bounds. And maybe that's the thing that's missing from a lot of this is the idea of transgressive art being genuinely transgressive or just kind of lazily button pushy, you know? Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, we we talked about um, Tyler and, and Mark Edward Hoyk and I talked about um, Robert Downey Sr. and how how much of his work would be and is considered offensive, right? Um, by today's standards, but also at the time, you know, when it came to uh, race and then also um, homosexuality, the way that it's de- depicted, um, but. Yeah, and maybe there was, you know, certainly there's some of that, like you're talking about, like that, that, um, privilege that allows certain white people to think that they're doing the opposite of what they're doing when they're saying something racist. There's, right. there's some of that. Not everything is perfect in his age perfectly well, but I think, I believe that Robert Downey Sr. was coming from a, a, a place of, um, uh, of what we would now coin allyship. Right that that he was using these offensive uh uh caricatures of of black people or gay people um to to make a a different point and to to shock and to as you said to be transgressive and to make a point by by shocking which is um not at all alien to me as someone who like came upon punk rock Right in like seventh and eighth grade, like so much of that is, um, uh, is is exactly that. Like saying the 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 most shocking thing you can think of to illustrate the opposite point. It's I, I guess satirical is what I'm looking for. Yeah, and so then I get to thinking like, have we passed an age where simply that kind of act, where like, yes, there was a time when the morality of the time was so pervasive that uh, reacting against it was, uh, um, I was going to say revolutionary, but that's not the right word. Uh, Kind of like it was a kind of a punk rock or almost anarchist move just in terms to upset the culture. But I don't know that we have such a unified culture that simply doing the Mm -hmm. thing is enough, or maybe the fact that we're talking about this as a topic of episode, the truth that we do, but I don't think so. I think like just the fact that, even politically the right and left have such different and wildly divergent ideas of what morality looks like means that the country is so split on its sense of morality that to say something to upset it, I don't think you really could say any one thing that would upset the accepted cultural order anymore. Uh, Yeah. Which is too bad because I um, still really respond to, to art that does that tries to do that at least. Yeah, but uh, I don't know that we have like a culture that can, you know. Um I mean something like uh shoot oh bad luck banging, I think maybe comes the closest where it's like actively trying to piss off everybody, <laughs> including yeah. sometimes it feels like the filmmaker himself. Um but which uh doesn't ascribe to any sort of like uh, ideal other than to say like everything is royally fucked up <laughs> yeah that's that's great i think that's a great movie and a great example um because yeah the the uh, what happens the other way if you try to be transgressive just one way you end up coming across as as arrogant snide right or you know i think what's the i've already forgotten the name of it what, what's the bobcat gold that the, he directed the movie about the killing spree um is it called god bless america what it's called that sounds right uh yeah and that one just seems so pleased with itself right 
uh, not like what you're talking about with bad luck banging, like uh, that the director himself might be pissed off by the, by the movie. It doesn't seem like he's, uh, you know, got his nose up his own ass. Yeah. So here's, here's a question for you as maybe we look towards winding down. Um, You mentioned every man for himself being a movie that like, you would definitely like bristle that. Are there movies, are there other movies like that? A and then B are there movies that you still won't see because you have maybe not like a prescribed moral aversion to them, but you have some, some instinctive disgust by uh, what they're depicting. Uh, Well, it's I mean, again, subscribe to the Patreon to hear this later in the month, but um, I don't think I'll ever watch cannibal Holocaust um, because I don't want to see animals tortured for the purpose of making a movie. Um, But that's something that's actually happening. Right. You know? Um, And uh, I have debated whether or not I will ever return to last tango in Paris because sure. of um, I'm drawing a blank on her name. Um, uh, Maria Scheider. I want to say, uh, yeah, the, the, her feelings about what was done to her without her consent on camera and on the, in the final product that um, I did, you know, I used to have um, a last tango in Paris poster uh, right. in, in the, uh office in our old apartment and i took that down and replaced it with a uh passion of joan of arc poster sure. <laughs> um because you love uh, to see women suffer <laughs> as long as it's not yeah. real as long yeah. as it's not re- um yeah uh so i i think yeah if, if it's if it's real i think is where i yeah, start I say to seems to be your through line here yeah where i start to draw a line i guess i've also had I've, I go back and forth on, and I've, I've wanted to do actually this as an episode, but I want to do it respectfully and like have a a professional stunt person Mm. on. I want to talk about movies where stunt people died making the movie and how that affects like, um, the, the, is it, is it wrong? Like, should I feel bad for watching a movie? Cause no person should die for a movie to get made. Or is it, honoring what they gave or what they did with their life to watch, to, to watch the movie. Um, uh, I mean, I guess it's especially, uh, difficult when the movie is bad, you know, like well, triple yeah. X, you know, a, yeah. a stone man died making triple X and that's like not a good movie at all, yeah. but something like the, um, the right stuff. Um, Philip Coffin's the right stuff in the movie. I really love. Um, but one of the stunt pilots, uh, died making that movie and, and, um, it has maybe made me hesitant to revisit it. Hmm. But anyway, I'm just saying the same thing over and over again. Things were, it's real. I think. Yeah. I if think, it's not, then it's not. Yeah. I, I think for me, I, I do have an element of that, but um, the film that I continually think about when I think about this kind of stuff of like, is there anything that I just like instinctively bristle at and can't imagine wanting to engage in because I just don't, care for the sort of morality of what's going on is i've never seen i've only seen a scene from and maybe we'll never see the full of pink flamingos because i just found like the scene that i saw so frankly disgusting and like it had the effect that john waters wanted and like uh revolted at least this audience member and like i'm glad it's out there to do its weird thing 
but I, I do think that it, it might be a bridge too far for me. Hmm. I think that's the, exactly the kind of like provocative stuff that I couldn't get enough of when right. I was in high school. And I still have a, um, a soft spot. I mean, I haven't watched Pink Flamingos since I was in high school. Um, but, uh, I definitely loved it. And I see some of that when I watch something like, uh, like Robert Downey seniors movies, which I watched a bunch of, um, I guess that was last year when we did that episode, uh, when he passed away. Um, he, yeah. So I, I, I love that kind of stuff personally. Yeah. I don't know. It's, uh, I think it's also something about the fact of it just being done for comedy. And I, I think I do have like a bit of the, um, the fault, uh, preference for like dramatic provocation, <laughs> um, where if it's just being done for pure anarchic laughs, I'm like, eh, I don't need it, but it's also being done to freak out the squares, you know? Well, I know, but you know, as, as a recovering square, uh, <laughs> try to figure out my place in the world. Uh, I had something else to say about that. Now I've forgotten. Um, yeah, I guess some final, some other thoughts, things we kind of touched on. Um, the idea of watching a movie that you politically disagree with is, um, fine and even very interesting to me up up to a point. Mm. It's sort of like I listen to a lot of metal. Plenty of those guys are right wingers. Once you get into like literally neo Nazi metal, I'm I don't care. I don't care how good musically it might be. I'm not going to listen to yeah neo Nazi bands. Um, the but uh, the other thing I wanted to touch on another thing that um, Natalie and I kind of disagree on i was talking about the idea of i'm fine with you know the problem is when it becomes prescriptive but i am fine with someone being so turned off by a certain artist in the real life they don't want to watch their movies right but um what i come up against there is the fact that cinema is still very much a collaborative art you know so um uh i get not wanting to watch Mel Gibson movies anymore, but also like signs is also a M night Shyamalan movie and a talk Fujimoto movie and a Joaquin Phoenix movie, Yeah, you know, and, and all these other uh, uh, things like, am I going to deny myself all of that art because of, because of the, the one person, uh, you know, my, my wife, Natalie doesn't really have any interest in watching anything with Mel Gibson or John Wayne in it. Um, I mean, she's not a big Western person anyway, so it's not like the John Wayne thing comes up a lot. <laughs> yeah. <it's laughs> easy to avoid then. Um, she's missing out on They Were Expendable, which is a great movie, but. Okay. Sans um, That's a good one. I haven't seen that one. Never um, saw the Green Berets. That's supposed to be real bad, right? That's, that that's like the Vietnam one, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think our friend uh, Wade Pasak has seen that movie because he's a big John Wayne guy and was like, too far it's a bridge too far um but yeah i the thing about that is i don't even think the people who are most aggressively prescriptive about it really believe what they're saying and the reason i don't think they really believe what they're saying is that nobody has ever called for a boycott of the toy story movies and those that's not just a thing that john laster produced he wrote and directed at least the first two toy story movies nobody i've never once seen anyone say we should not watch toy story anymore because of what John Laster did. And so the idea that they're so 
devoted to the cause that they couldn't possibly watch whatever by whoever and that everyone else is wrong for doing so. Um, I just don't, I don't think they're being honest about it. Okay. Um, on that topic, I, the one film that I did mean to mention earlier, um, I get why people, uh, reflexively, uh, have a problem with the age gaps in like Woody Allen movies because of the whole Woody Allen thing. Yeah. And even <laughs> apart from like, um, the main, um, molestation thing that I think people are, I think more rightly skeptical of now, obviously like the older man, younger woman thing has tagged in for decades. Um, I did find it interesting that people were so upset about the film irrational man, which is titled irrational man, <laughs> and which is clearly aware that it, the character at the center is, uh, in the wrong throughout most of it. Um, so that, that was kind of relating back to like the whole, like, media literacy thing we were talking about earlier and i, I just don't I, I don't know where people are coming from in some of these regards some of the time when a film is so aggressively clear in who the bad guy is uh in it yeah all right did we touch on it well we didn't even, we didn't even talk about blonde which was kind of i think uh one of the main impetus um, for for I, I had i suggested actually a separate topic that was more spurred on by blonde um and which perhaps we'll get to as these months wear on where i'm okay. filling in here um but uh as for blonde itself as it relates to this topic um i think people are mostly right in the morality they as- ascribe to it and i think there's a lot of ways in which the film approaches abortion that is uh questionable at the very least um but but am i a bad person if i sit down and watch blonde oh i think that i think that's what i'm trying to get at is does it is it bad to watch no and the point i made on twitter recently is that the idea that it's a moral act to, to not watch anything at this point is um that over inflating the role the viewer plays in the propagation of art um and one of one of your exceptions though was triumph of the will which i have seen well no i i specifically said in its own time yeah. yes i yeah. could see there being a case for there being a moral act and not going to see triumph of the will in 1933 or whatever it first came out i think there. No, i saw it in a, a film school class on propaganda that's yeah. when i saw it so when, contextualized i think uh, uh fairly yeah so yeah, I don't think there's, I, I, th- I think in general people, and this is where like the whole idea of boycotting certain artists gets really carried away from itself. People think that they're really taking a stand by not engaging with an art. Like most people aren't going to watch these movies. <laughs> like you're just joining the majority. Okay, great. You know, most people aren't going to watch them because they don't have the time. They don't have the interest. They're not aware of them it's not like media is so consolidated anymore that you're really doing anything by not engaging with it. You're just one of most people who aren't going to watch blonde, for example. Um, so more power to you, I guess, but it's not, it's not making a dent in the world. You're not doing literally nothing. Okay. Yeah. I remember back when it, uh, when the, the passion of the Christ came out, I couldn't wait to watch it, even though <laughs> I was on the opposite side of the reason most people were seeing it. Uh, couldn't wait to see it uh and that's obviously problematic in more ways than one uh it sure is and it's also just not a very good movie i haven't seen it since it came out i remember finding it very effective um i mean it's a gorgeous looking movie and like the visual storytelling of it is 
pretty on point. Um, maybe a little belabored, but um, it kind of has a certain like silent film uh, ostentatiousness that uh, I can sometimes appreciate. And now you're making me want to watch The Passion of the Christ again. Um, maybe I'll just watch Apocalypto again instead. Well, yeah. All right. That is the better. <laughs> that is the better version of essentially what Passion of the Christ is doing storytelling wise. Yeah. All right. Uh, tell us how we were wrong. Leave a comment or email us. Uh, you can find us at battleshipretention.com. You can email me at david at battleshipretention.com. You can also uh, follow me on Twitter. Uh, you can yell at me there if you want at Davy Pretension. Um, also, make sure to check out my other podcast that I do with my wife, Natalie. It's called The One Where I Met Your Mother. We watch an episode of Friends and usually an episode of How I Met Your Mother every week. Right now, we're in a kind of period where there are more Friends episodes in one season than there are How I Met Your Mother. So we're filling in the gap with episodes of Mystery Diners, uh, which is a, a, Natural a ton of fun. Um, and also for as good as I think both Friends and How I Met Your Mother are as sitcoms um mystery diners gets more consistent laughs out of me than even <laughs> show i think <laughs> um but uh yeah check all that out at battleshippretension.com um scott where do you want people to look you up the uh, letterbox is pretty solid um you could very clearly if we weren't already very clear about it already glean our next profile episode um and uh Twitter. I've started opening it up on Sundays. If you really want to come swarm and follow me, uh, I go unlocked on Sundays. Otherwise you can always request to follow me. I'll probably be okay with it. Wow. Yeah. You're really doing the, doing the Twitter thing. Like you're using circles, you're locking and unlocking. Yeah. I'm still just using it as passively as I have for 13 years. Well, I'm too active on it to be passive about it, I guess. Yeah. I'd be more cathartic if I weren't so lethargic. That's uh do you remember you ever see that family guy gag where Peter goes up to the newsstand, picks up a copy of the New Yorker, and he gets to the New Yorker cartoon and the caption is like, I'd be more cathartic if I weren't so lethargic. And he stares at it and then it turns to night and then it turns to day and he's still sitting there staring at it. <laughs> he keeps going back and forth through night and day. He's like, Oh, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some good gags on that show. There sure were. Uh all right. Um, thank you for filling in. Thank you at home for listening. Say, we'll get sorry. you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.